0: good morning. My name's Eric and uh, I'm the lead pastor here. So happy that you guys are hanging out with us today. Uh, this is a very, very, very special Sunday for our church in a very special season of our church. So if it's your first time here at E3, you picked an amazing day to be your first day. And uh, we welcome, welcome, welcome you here. If, if you're a member of our community uh it's been, uh, it's been an amazing day already. Uh, we are in the middle of this season of our church called, called One Mission. where we are just asking ourselves, what, what is God doing in us and through us? And how should we respond? And for the past few weeks, we've been looking at just different ways that we can align ourselves, both individually, but also as a community with what we think God is doing. And we're going to talk more about that today, and we're going to get a chance to respond in a tangible, tangible way today. But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about uh, that story from the Gospel of Mark. And I want to start it off by uh, a framework statement that that I've shared today. And it sets up just kind of where we're going. And the, the statement is simply this, that whenever God's people respond with unity and joy, powerful things can happen. Whenever God's people respond with unity and joy to what he's doing in the world, amazing, powerful things happen. So I, won't, I don't wanna leave that just yet because I was thinking this week and, and I paired that statement up with a couple questions that I want you to start thinking about. And the first question is simply this, uh, what do you think your life is capable of? What do you expect out of your life? What do you expect out of your life? And then I think the more important question for our purposes today is, what do you think Jesus expects out of your life? What do you think Jesus expects out of your life? And that is uh, a really critical question. Both of those questions take together. If you're a person of faith, look, I think a lot of times we fall into the trap of thinking that what we expect out of our life is that wherever we're at right now is as good as it gets. And that uh, for a lot of us as people of faith, we would say, you know what I expect out of my life? I expect that I'm going to do some good things. I'm probably gonna do some bad things. I'm gonna bumble, stumble and fumble through my life. And then one day I'm gonna stop sucking air and I'm gonna go horizontal instead of vertical, but I'm gonna go to heaven and be with Jesus. And so we expect that this is about as good as it gets. A couple steps forward, a couple steps back, and then one day no more steps. And I think we would even say, you know, actually some of us live our lives as if we would say that's what Jesus expects. He knows that I'm not perfect. He knows I'm not perfect. And so we would say, you know what, actually what Jesus expects out of my life is that I'll drop the ball a little bit, but he loves me and that's okay. And then one day I'm going to die and I'm going to go be in, be in heaven with Jesus. That's great. It's not biblical, but it's great, Right. I, I actually met one day, one time with a, with a person uh, from this community. And I knew just from other conversations, I knew they were struggling with something. They had something in their life, a compulsive behavior, a thing that they just kept coming back to that was tearing their life apart. And we had talked about it and they were honest with me. They said, look, I don't want to be doing this thing. I don't want to be caught up in this cycle that I'm caught up in, but I cannot seem to escape it. And so I was working with them and I was trying to just say, look, you know, there's actually more. There's actually more to life than this, this cycle. But one day over coffee, they said to me, they looked, they said, you know, I've just decided that I'm not going to work on this right now. And I was like, really? And they said, yeah, I know God loves me. And I just, I think that's about as good as it's going to get right now. And I looked at him with my compassionate pastoral eyes. <laughs> and I said, what an awful way to live. I didn't use awful because it wasn't Sunday. Um, (laughs) But I just started thinking, I was like, man, is that, is that all that you think God wants out of your life? That you're just stuck in this thing and it's just going to stay that way forever. And I just don't think that's what God wants for us. And what I want to do is take a look at this story in the Bible and a couple other stories like it that actually began in my life to blow up that paradigm of what Jesus thought my life was capable of becoming. And therefore, what I thought my life was capable of becoming. But before we do that, I want to just show you a couple pictures just to kind of like set the tone for where we're going today. So let me show you a picture. You guys tell me who, what's this character's name? It's the Karate Kid, but he had a name, come on. Daniel, yeah, Ralph Macchio, right? Yes, daniel Son. So, uh, you know, Karate Kid, iconic movie from my childhood. Gets picked on a lot, uh, gets beaten up. Finally decides he wants something different out of his life. He finds a teacher. What's his teacher's name? Mr. Miyagi. And he says, Mr. Miyagi, I'd like to learn karate. And so uh, Mr. Miyagi says, okay. And Mr. Miyagi, like, he gets his car waxed. He gets his house painted a little bit. Um... And uh, Daniel-san is skeptical of the training. But then, you know, at the end of the movie, you know, we have the Cobra Khan and, and we have the ha thing happening and all of a sudden it's awesome, right? Let me show you another picture. What's this character's name? Luke Skywalker, right? So Luke Skywalker growing up on this desert planet, has this crisis in his life, decides that he wants to move forward. He has to go find a teacher, He finds a couple, first Obi-Wan Kenobi, and then he finds this guy who is Yoda. So Skywalker's on this journey to become something more than he was. And he finds a teacher, he finds a couple teachers that show him the path, you know, and eventually finds out that Darth Vader was his dad. He might've traded all that in, be like, dude, that jacked me up so bad. Shouldn't have gone on that journey. But that is, uh, that is, those two stories are fundamental, I would even say, if you know the word, archetypal existential stories of humanity. And they're essentially the stories of people who go on this journey of transformation and their lives are never the same. And there was a guy who wrote a book uh, years back called The the, Hero, uh, it's the, journey, the Hero's Journey, a man named Joseph Campbell. And he actually identified this thing. And they've actually studied Star Wars actually follows the hero's journey and what Joseph Campbell laid out almost to a T. Like every single step was what Campbell laid out in terms of like this compelling story that human beings just love to resonate with. And if I could grossly summarize the way it works is that basically you have a person and they experience some kind of crisis in their life. Something just all of a sudden shakes their life up and, and they have to decide whether it's gonna stay or they're gonna take a step forward. They take a step forward, they encounter. They go on this journey. They end up finding a teacher who starts to teach them and they start to grow. And they ha- there's a sense that they're waiting for something to happen. And then there's a key moment in all the stories where they move out of their old paradigm, their old way of living, And they embrace something new. And then uh, usually the story is they return actually to where they were changed. And they make a difference and they impact the world. You know, they slay the dragon. they, They do all the things that they're supposed to do, right? For a lot of us, we look at that, we're like, that's cool, but I'm no hero. You know, when you start talking about these big, big stories, these epic stories, they're like, well, that's not me. I want to suggest to you that that's, this is the, the story of any time your life changes from a tiny little thing to a major thing. So I was thinking about, like, well, how, how do I make this connect? You know, I would suggest to you that this isn't too different from just learning how to ride a bike. I actually remember when I learned how to ride a bike. I was living in Pennsylvania. You know, I wanted to do something more. My teacher was my father. And we had a big front yard. We lived out in the country. And so I did the thing where, you know, he's running along behind me. He's holding the, holding the bicycle seat. And then one day, at one time I look back, he's not holding it. And I freak out. and I instantly fall over, right? Anybody been there? And then eventually my paradigm shifted because I remember actually what it was like. There is no way I'm going to be, I could do the tricycle thing, expert tricycler. I could even do the big wheel. I was like, how am I gonna make this two wheel thing happen? There was a paradigm there that needed to be left behind. And eventually I had a choice of like, I can either balance on this thing or not. I can choose to move forward or not. And when I finally got my head around the fact that I could balance everything in my life changed. Anybody remember like what it was like when you learned how to ride a bike and all of a sudden you were mobile. And all of a sudden like you could just go. I lived at the top of a hill. And my bike didn't have brakes on it. I went through shoes faster than like anybody's business when I was like six or seven. But there was a moment that I had to leave behind my own paranoia of like, I don't know how to balance. I don't know if this works, right? And just to kind of like remind us maybe one more way of like what it's like on both sides when you're learning how to ride a bike. Watch this video. This was my favorite. Uh, so I don't know if there's any kids here in the room, but I just want to let you know, we do laugh at you. We make sure you're okay, but then we laugh at you. But there's this moment that like they're choosing. You see these kids at this moment where they're trying to kind of get this thing happening. And I would suggest to you that before that moment, they would say, look, my life is capable not of not balancing. There's no way I could balance on these two wheels. And then all of a sudden, within a few short days or weeks sometimes, all of a sudden your life changes. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna go back and I wanna look at just the tail end of that story that Chuck read for us. And then I wanna set up why this is so important for us today. Today, So again, uh, Jesus has gone, uh, he's, he's hanging out on a hill and he's told his disciples to go on ahead. They take off in a boat, they're on the Sea of Galilee, a storm comes up, which is common for this geographic area in the world. And he's praying and in the middle of the night, the storm is raging, the disciples are in this boat, they're struggling to make a headway. And then Jesus comes like just strolling across the water and then they freak out and see him. They're screaming, oh my gosh. And Jesus gets in a boat. And that in and of itself, okay, okay, that's crazy, right? Just in a human love. Anybody seen anybody walking on water lately? I haven't. But the, the story actually ends in a really, really odd way. So Jesus gets in the boat. He says, don't be afraid. The winds settle down. And then the text says his disciples were so baffled that they were beside themselves. And that's because they had not understood about the loaves, which we're going to talk about in just a moment. Their hearts had been changed so that they resisted God's ways. Now, in other translations of the Bible, this might be translated, their hearts were hardened. And that's a biblical phrase, it's common, it comes up over and over in the, again in the Bible. And a lot of times we read that like a, oh, a hard heart and it sounds like a bad person, but a hard heart in the Bible really can just mean a person who were, were resistant to the ways God was working in the world. So they're, they're baffled, they didn't understand about the loaves and their hearts had been changed They were resisting God's ways of working in the world. Now, what I'd like to show you is what I think are the ways that God works in the world. So to do that, we're gonna go back to the story that sets this story up. So uh, if you have a Bible and you wanna turn to Mark 6, we're gonna look at uh, Mark 6 starting in verse 35. If you need a Bible, there's some around tables around this room. We'd love for you to have one of our Bibles if you don't have one of your own. So the situation is this, Jesus is becoming really, really popular as a teacher and a rabbi and people are starting to follow him. He's got a reputation, a positive reputation and all these people come out to hear him teach. And then in verse 35, it says, late in the day, his disciples come to Jesus and they said, look, this is an isolated place. It's already late in the day. Send these people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy something to eat for themselves. So listen, the disciples see a need. People are hungry. They've been listening to you teach all day. Jesus, we're out here in the middle of nowhere. Set them loose to go get some food. This is a a good idea. This is seeking to serve people. But how do they want to do it? They wanna put it on Jesus, which let's face it. If you were hanging out with Jesus, I'd put a little stuff on Jesus too. Jesus, I think it's a great idea if you do this, but watch what Jesus does. What does he say to them? He says, oh, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And then they said to him, well, should we go off and buy bread worth almost eight months pay and give it to them to eat? And Jesus is like, No, he said to them, what? How much bread do you have? How much bread do you have right now? And they say, well, we have five loaves of bread. So they didn't understand about the loaves. He said, we have five loaves and two fish. So Jesus directs the disciples to sit, to seat all the people in groups as though they were having a banquet on the green grass. They sat down. In groups of hundreds and fifties, he took the five loaves, the two fish, looked up to heaven, blessed them, broke the loaves into pieces, gave them to his disciples to set before the people. Then he divides the two fish among them all. Everyone ate until they were full. And they filled 12 baskets with the leftover pieces of bread and fish about 5,000 people had eaten. So the text says they didn't understand about the loaves. They were baffled and their hearts were hardened. They didn't understand the way God was working in the world. Now, when I grew up, I always understood this story as about Jesus' miraculous powers. Somehow he made that bread and those, those fish go and feed 5,000 people, right? And that's true. But with Jesus, a lot of times, there's more than one thing being talked about. Because how does that start? It starts with Jesus saying, how much do you have? The disciples want nothing. They're like, Jesus, just make something happen. And Jesus says, well, I will, but it's gonna start with what you have. What do you have? And then later on, you see, the way this plays out, I think, is you start to think that Jesus has, a little bit higher expectation of his disciples than they have of themselves. They want Jesus to just do it. And Jesus is like, no, no, actually, it starts with you. You can actually do this. And so later when they're on the lake and the storm's coming up and they're struggling against the storm, part of what I think Jesus is actually saying is like, look, that storm is nothing for you guys if you believe. And the way they weren't understanding God's work in the world is I think they were saying, well, God, if I just sit here and I just say, God, do it. You'll do it. And Jesus is trying to say, no, no, no. The way God works in the world is it starts with what you have. And your life is capable of doing so much more than what you think. What do you think your life is capable of? Feeding 5,000 people? Most of us would say no. I think Jesus would say, yeah, yeah. Starts with you, you would be shocked at what you can do if you just say, I guess I'll just bring what I have to Jesus and see what he does with it. Uh, As I said before, Matthew tells the same story, but he adds a a detail that Mark leaves out. And that happens sometimes with the gospel writers. You know, they'll add in a detail because something resonated with them that didn't resonate with one of the other authors, And so Matthew adds this detail. It's the same thing. The disciples are struggling. It's night. There's a storm. Jesus comes walking. They're terrified. Oh, gosh. And then this happens. Uh, Peter looks up and he says, "Uh, Lord, if it's you, order me to come to you on the water. Would you think about that? That is a crazy thing to say. Is it not? I mean, who does Peter think he is? Jesus walks on water. Why would Peter ask this? Actually, it's a completely normal thing for Peter to ask this question because Peter is a first century Jew and his rabbi is a first century Jew. And in Peter's context, whatever your rabbi could do, whatever your teacher could do, you could do. So when Peter sees Jesus, his rabbi, his master, the guy who's showing him about life, when he sees Jesus walking on the water, it makes utter sense for Peter to go, hey, Jesus, call me out there, I wanna do it too. So Jesus obliges, says, let's see how this goes. So Jesus says, come. Then Peter got out of the boat and was walking on the water towards Jesus. But when Peter saw the strong wind, he became frightened. And as he began to sink, he shouted, Lord, rescue me, which is a great thing to call out. And Jesus immediately reaches out and grabs him, saying, you man of weak faith, why did you begin to have doubts? And when Jesus says that, yes, he is saying, why did you have doubt that I would that I wouldn't be able to enable you to do this because I called you out of here in the first place. I wouldn't have called you out on the water, Peter, unless I thought you could do it. But what Jesus is also saying to Peter is, why did you doubt yourself? Why did you doubt yourself? Peter, your life is capable of so much more. And it goes, it goes back to the loaves and fishes. All these people are hungry. And Jesus is like, well, what do you have? Oh, oh. And then Jesus says, "Uh, come on out of the boat, walk on the water. Well, I'm gonna sink. Why would you think that? Your life is capable of so much more. When I ask you then, if you were were to have a conversation with me and I would say, look, what do you think your your life is capable of? What do you think Jesus expects out of your life? I would say Jesus expects you to be able to feed 5,000 people. And I would expect that Jesus would say, you could walk on water. All you have to do is get out of the boat and start with what you have. You don't have to have the money to feed 5,000 people. You have to just take it to Jesus, whatever you have and go, okay. And your life can impact hungry people. Your life can be a part of fixing this broken world. But a lot of us just go, well, that's not me. Jesus doesn't know my life. He doesn't know my brokenness. He doesn't know my struggles. He doesn't know my failures. In John 14, if you were suspicious about this line of thinking, if you're like, well, I don't know about that guy, Eric. I've never heard him talk like that. I don't know if that's true or not. Jesus, I would suggest, takes away all the ambiguity in John 14. And he just says it in a concise statement to his disciples. He says, guess what, guys? You are going to do greater things than I've done. You think Jesus was lying to you? You see, Jesus knew his disciples. And if you don't know the story of the disciples, they're not the sharpest pencils in the box. They're a few fries short of a happy meal. And Jesus knows this. And yet he says with no uncertain terms, guys, you're gonna do greater things than I've done. Greater things than I've done. How do you wiggle out of that statement? What does Jesus think your life is capable of becoming? Doing greater things than he's done. Now, there's a theological truth to it. Let me just pause and say this. The last half of that statement is the key to everything. Jesus says, you're gonna do greater things because Jesus says, I am going to the Father. And When Jesus says that, what he means is that, look, this is towards the end of his ministry. Jesus says, I am going to the Father, which means Jesus is saying, I'm gonna surrender my life on the cross to break the power of evil in the world and to set you free. And then Jesus is also saying, but listen, after that, I'm gonna be resurrected. And therefore I'm gonna inaugurate an entire new way of living in the world that human beings can actually embody. And then Jesus is saying, look, at the end of this thing, I'm gonna ascend and I'm gonna go to the father. So the key to it all is what Jesus is going to do He's going to be crucified, resurrected, and then ascend into heaven. Now, to his context, there was something uh, in the Hebrew world that was called the Olam Ha-Ba. The Olam Ha-Ba. And translated, it means the age to come. And in the age to come, uh, God's kingdom is going to flourish on the earth. And the rabbis have debated, like they were wondering, when does the olam haba start? When does the age to come begin? And there's a lot of debate, but most would say, look, it was really hinging on a couple of things. It was hinging on the Messiah and it was hinging on the resurrection. And so when Jesus says, look, you're gonna do greater things because I'm going to the father. Wait, basically what he's saying is, you're gonna do greater things because the age to come is about to start. And when he's crucified and when he's resurrected and when he's ascended, the Alam Haba has begun. Spoiler, it hasn't ended. We don't get to say, well, you know, that was only for those folks in the Gospel of John. The age to come started when Jesus says, You're gonna do greater things than me. And guess what, guys? We're still living in it. We are still living in the age to come when we can do amazing things. So again, what is your life capable of becoming? What does Jesus expect out of your life? He expects that your life is capable of producing amazing healing and reconciliation and bringing love and compassion to the world and forgiveness. He expects that your life is capable of reconciling the broken relationships around you. Jesus expects that your life is capable of becoming whole and full of peace and contentment and love and compassion. Jesus expects that you'll be able to have the courage to step into hard places of the world and do ministry in his name. He expects that. Now we would all go, what seems like a tall order, Jesus, but that's the way it's always been with his disciples. And you know what he says? You know how it starts? He says, Come to me with what you've got. Get out of the boat and start working. And you can see amazing, amazing things happen. And all it takes is you being willing to leave behind the paradigm that your life is this big and that you'll never be able to do anything of value in the world. That's the journey. We are called to leave behind the paradigm that we embrace so much, which is this like, you'll never move through me. You'll never work through me because Jesus wants to teach you that anything is possible. Anything. And look, I know a lot of you guys. We're, no, we're not a whole lot more down the road than the disciples. Some of us are a few fries short of a happy meal. And all it takes is that we leave behind the paradigm of what we think our life can be and embrace what Jesus wants to show us, which is that a few people in the Judean countryside can, can feed 5,000 people. A couple people from this congregation can go to Guatemala and start a, a ministry that builds houses for people who cannot afford houses. Houses. You know, we sent a team to Haiti, just some bumbling, stumbling, fumbling people who just are daring to believe that God can use them in, in this really amazing country that's experienced some hard times to help people grow and help people who just need a, 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 an opportunity to sell their wares and get some economic development happening. That's what all people are doing. They're just stepping up, getting out of the boat. And so let me just ask you, like, What's your old paradigm look like? What are the things in your life that you're just like, I have, I am operating under this old way of thinking and I just will never move forward because this I believe is true about my life because what Jesus would say, you don't know. You just don't know. And I wanna teach you, Jesus is saying, I wanna teach you so much about the world. I wanna be your teacher, but you have to leave behind your old way of thinking. And that is that somehow God only uses the A plus students. We're all in the game. We're all in the game. And all we have to do is get out of the boat and come with what we have. And that's what we're about to do in the next couple minutes in this church. We're about to get out of the boat and bring God what we have today. And uh, let me just speak a word here. If you're visiting E3 the first or second time, you're here at a family meeting time. And so uh, we're gonna do some stuff and we're gonna talk about some stuff that might seem odd, but that's okay. This is not necessarily your time. You're welcome to participate and observe. But for those of us who are part of E3, you know that this thing has been about asking ourselves, how's God moving in our lives and how can we respond? And the way that we best have decided we can respond is that our community is gonna make room for people by raising $500,000 over three years. And again, if you're here for the first or second time, and you're like, oh, here comes the money talk. Look, we don't want any of your money today. This is about our family. This is about E3's community. We take that money and we're gonna invest it in making upgrades to our worship space, our lobby, our student ministry space. We're gonna resurface our parking lot to make it safer, and to make it more inviting for our business partners because we rent all those spaces up front and to make it more inviting for guests who come on this campus. And then we're gonna use it to relocate our kids to this back warehouse space where they can have a bigger space and a more creative space and a more compelling space for the next generation of Christ followers at E3. That's where we're going. We're not even stopping there because what I haven't had a chance to tell you guys is that we're actually taking some of that money as well and we're doing stuff around the world with it. We're gonna continue our work with our food pantry that serves so many people every month. And we're gonna, part of that money is gonna go to them to expand that service. And then also to fund our ministry work in, in Uganda, Guatemala, and Haiti. And then uh, we've been working with uh, a lady named Miss Annie off and on for years. And part of this, these funds are gonna go to her and to say, we believe in your work, keep going. And this is a way that we can bring what we have and we can get out of the boat and we can just say, Jesus, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm bringing you what I have. And I believe that through my offering and my sacrifice and my gift and my generosity, you can change the world. And we've seen it already. We've been building up and we've been looking for a way that we're going to respond. And that is about what we are going to do. This chair comes from my home. And uh, uh, this chair has participated and been a part of, of a few growth groups in my life. And a few years ago, we did a teaching where I suggested that if you really wanna actually look for people who are serious at E3 about following Jesus, you might see like extra chairs in their house. Because we believe that Christ followers are always looking room, making, to make space for more people. In a lot of places, you just need extra chairs in your house. So if you came to my house, you poked around my closets, I don't know why you would do that. But if you did, you'd find all kinds of chairs stashed in closets and in my shed because we always wanted room for one more person to come and sit and hear about the love of Jesus. And so chairs for me represent making room for one more. And it's only fitting that on this day we're calling Commitment Sunday, where we're gonna respond and bring our gifts to God that this is sitting, this chest is sitting in this chair because this is all about making room for one more person. Now I wanna say a a, a couple words to a couple groups of people. But first, um, I want you to know that we know there are people in this community right now And you're like, man, my heart is all in. I resonate with E3. But we know there's people who, because of some circumstance in their life, they can not give. We know of people who are are married and and the nature of their relationship or just where things are at, they literally can't make that move. We also know of people who uh, the reality is they might have to choose literally between making a gift to one mission and eating. And let me just tell you, um, you need to eat. And I wanna tell you, just hear this from my heart. If you're in a situation where you absolutely cannot participate, but your heart is all in, you are no less of a member of this community. You belong here. And our God is not a God that looks at a multiple choice test and go, oh, they did not contribute to one mission. Oh, strike against them. Our God is a God of a heart. And if you say, I am all in, I just can't do it because it's too serious of a circumstance. We understand. And we want you here. And you are not a lesser member if you do not. Clear? Amen? Amen. Now, a group of us got together a couple nights ago and uh, it was uh, the wise council of our church. That's kind of our leadership team, our, our elders, if you would, our staff members, our property board. And then we actually have had a team of volunteers who have been working voluntarily for one mission for months. And we got together because we believe that we should make our gifts before this community does. And so we got together and we challenged ourselves. How are we going to respond, guys? And I want to give you that number because before you guys come and make your contributions and your generous and sacrificial gifts, I want to tell you what the leadership of the church has done. And the leadership of the church has basically done this. We committed over the next three years uh, to $198,000. That's where our pledges. If you've been here, you know that we've asked for those of us who are able to make some cash available up front because this is a cash situation for us. It allows us to jumpstart some of these projects. The leadership of this church gave an upfront gift together of $98,000. That's good stuff. Now, listen, we've said over and over again, it's not about equal gifts. It's about equal sacrifice. There are people who are all over the spectrum from what you can give. We just all want to participate and be in the game. There is a, a, a guard, uh, Chicago Bulls had a, a, a guy who played guard on their team in the 90s named Stacy King. I think he's the color commentator now for the Chicago Bulls. And I don't know if you guys know, but during the 90s, the Bulls had another guy that was kind of good on their team as well. Um, March 2nd, 1990, the Bulls were playing the Cavaliers. And this is pre-LeBron, you know, when the Cavaliers were just the punching bags of the NBA, right? And uh, that night, Stacey King scored a total of one point. One point. I think it was a free throw in the closing minute of the game. That guy that, that, uh, that was pretty good on the team, uh, Michael Jordan, he scored 69. It was like his, I think it's a season record, his personal record for season uh, scoring. And they interviewed Stacey King after the game. You know what Stacey King said? He said, I'll never forget the night that Michael Jordan and I combined to score 70 points. <laughs> Remember last week we talked about cathedrals and how it took forever to build these cathedrals. No one person does this. We do this as a community. And what we get to say is, hey, I remember that time when E3 and I combined to bring this community into a new season of following God. It doesn't matter the amount of gift. It matters the participation. So here's the way this is gonna work. Uh, you should have, if not in your hands, around you, these pledge cards. Uh, if you guys wanna go ahead and pull them out right now, um, They're perforated, so please do me a favor and just tear them in half right now. It just just makes it a lot easier. Just do it. Okay, awesome. So um, on this this side is uh, just a guideline for pledges. This is not meant to be descriptive or prescriptive. It's meant to be a roadmap. So if you can give a little bit more or a little bit less, that's fine. It's meant to show you the impact of funds over time. So that's a guideline. On this half half over here, name, address, basic details. Um, If you can give a one-time gift, you can write that in this box here. Those you can uh, bring next week at Celebration Sunday, then a monthly pledge. Do the math for us. It helps us. Then fill out the rest of this information. Now, in just a moment, the band's going to come up. They're going to play one last song. And during that song, that's when the time when we get to respond. And so if you've come and you're a part of this community, we ask you to just fold this thing in half, come up to this chest, this chair, representing one more person, drop your gift, your sacrifice into that as an act of worship. Because God is changing the world through this community. Right now, he's already impacted lives And we are capable of just changing so many more lives. Now, for one last little bit of inspiration, there was a video that came out a few years ago that just kind of broke the internet when it was a little bit smaller. and It had a kid that had just learned to ride a bike. He had just done the thing that he could, you know, if you've ever, if you've forgotten what it was like to be a kid, you never thought you could get it done. And his parents, his dad was there to film him. The moment he learned how to ride a bike and as we get to do this and as you get to embrace the idea that God wants to change the world through your life maybe it starts with you just realizing a little bit of what what this kid has grabbed onto so just watch this video i feel i feel do you feel alive i feel i feel, I feel happy of myself i feel happy of myself too what do you got any words of wisdom what about for all the other kids trying to learn how to ride their bike can you say anything to them everybody for rock and roll. That's awesome. I couldn't think of a better way. Let's pray.